You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 11, covering Tomorrow is Yesterday, Court Martial, and Return of the Archons, with very special guest, Dave Fields. Alright, hello once again. Uh, this week we're doing another uh, show with a guest, our old pal from the other program, our, our voice guy, uh, Dave. Greetings. Welcome to the program. You recognize his dulcet tones from the beginning of the show. Are they dulcet? Yeah, I'd say so. Very well. I don't even know what dulcet means. I don't either, but I definitely think it applies to his tones. <laughs> Very well. I, you know what? Uh, we'll, we'll get into that later. We don't have time. We got, we're, so, we're so busy. We've got so many episodes to do. Um, first one was Matt's. Uh, you got uh, Tomorrow is Yesterday, or as you insisted on calling it, Tomorrow is Yesterday's Enterprise. <laughs> So All take right. it away, Matt. All right. So the Enterprise is sent back to the 60s for some goddamn reason, something about a rubber band. I don't know. While in low orbit, they were observed by the military, who sends a jet piloted by Captain John Christopher to check them out. The Enterprise beats Cheeks back into space, but Christopher pursues them. Kirk decides it would be fun to fuck around with the past and has Scotty catch the jet in a tractor beam. Jet disintegrates, Christopher's beamed aboard. Kirk goes down to be all smug and from the future, and Christopher's obviously pretty pissed off that his jet got destroyed. Gets even more pissed off when Kirk decides that, you know what? You don't have to go back to Earth, because doing so would affect the timeline, because you got to see all of our cool future stuff. Christopher protests, but Spock pipes in saying that he's checked uh, Earth's history, and Christopher has never done anything that will ever affect anything in history, ever. Which is exactly what you want to hear from an alien from the future who just abducted you. Luckily, it turns out that he actually did do something, that while he didn't do anything, he will have a famous kid. Which is like achieving something, I guess. So they do need to return to Earth. Problem is that before it was destroyed, Christopher's plane recorded and photographed the Enterprise. And that evidence needs to be destroyed. Once that happens, anything Christopher reports will just make him look like a crazy person. Which is fine. Kirk and Sulu beam down to look for the tapes, but they get caught by a security guard who starts futzing around with Kirk's communicator. The ship, thinking he's the captain in an emergency, beam him back up. Now we have two problems. More security arrives, and while Sulu escapes with the evidence, Kirk is captured and interrogated. He is not very helpful. Spock and Christopher mount a rescue. Christopher refuses to go back to the ship, so Spock forces him. And then they make a plan to go back to the future and drop off the two primitive 60s men. But frankly, none of that makes a lick of sense, and it all works out anyway in the end, so whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you, you covered my main thing, which is uh, none of it makes any sense, but who cares? (laughs) It's if I had to sum up this episode in one sentence, it's like, uh, wow, they threw uh, any semblance of science completely out the window. But this was a lot of fun, so who who gives a rat's ass? But, Captain, as we're, tra- as we're traveling into the future, we can then drop them off in the past because the past will not have happened. So it'll wipe their memories and it'll all work out. What? So every time <laughs> you go back into a point where you've previously existed, you forget everything that happens after then. That, yeah, huh? What? Back to the future rules make this all so much easier. <laughs> it uh, pissed me off. I mean, all the times I traveled to the future and got some great stock tips, I can't remember a goddamn one of them. <laughs> And that sports atlas you picked up. Yeah, useless. Forget well, the one note that I managed to jot down and keep a hold of was invest heavy in Enron, and well, look what happened. <sighs> but I'm bummed. <laughs> Topical chokes here at the uh, post-atomic horror. <laughs> you almost said sarcastic voyage, didn't you? Maybe. Shut up. 
<laughs> one, one thing you pointed out, which I don't think can be emphasized enough, is Kirk's just total blatant disregard for the timeline. He's no, just I like, know. Let's just bring this guy on board. Wee! Look, easiest thing in the world to just beam the guy down and, you know, how did I get to the ground? Well, you'll never know. Easy. Not going to be a problem. But instead, he beams the guy to the ship, takes him on a tour, starts showing him stuff. Hey, you want to see some cool future stuff? Sure you do. Don't tell anyone about this. Oh, wait, you're going to, so we can't send you back. Whoops. Yeah, it's like, My bad. and really, all he did was walk around, see some shiny computers that he didn't understand, and a story about the guys from the future. I mean, what exactly did he learn that was going to change anything? This is true, mm-hmm. unless unless he pocketed a phaser or something. He's he's really got nothing. Yeah. But, uh, Which of course comes up later when the guys go back down to back down and get captured, and the guards start futzing around with Kirk's phaser. Well, yeah, uh, but again, uh, you know, you can't uh, you can't just have Kirk staying on the ship the whole time. I mean, oh no, of course not. He gets bored. Yeah, he's got to beam down and run around the base, and, and you know, not not any kind of period costume or anything, mind you. <laughs> no, it's not like in Next Gen where they they get, they just whip up a couple of uh, costumes and head down inconspicuously. Now you got two grown men strutting around in in their jammies, <laughs> just walking around a military base. Sure, why although not? they do manage to pull it off in the episode that you review later, Al. Yeah, let's let's hold off on that. Let's have <laughs> let's 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 hold on to the fun that we have for now before we have to get to return of the goddamn archons. <laughs> uh, Where they return from the cage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um but yeah, Kirk's just like his attitude in the first half basically gets them into the trouble that they have to get out of in the second half. He's like mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be fun to take this guy, this Air Force guy, and show him around and pal around? Oops, can't send you back because for some reason the timeline's been polluted. Well, no, duh. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of what that's kind of what himself. Kirk does. He just cavalierly just makes stuff up as he goes along, and that's why they made the Prime Directive. <laughs> <laughs> Look, yeah, and, last time I went back in time, we didn't get to do anything. This time, I'm going to mess around. Yeah, and and as you also pointed out, the uh, at the end of the Naked Time, they accidentally created time travel, mm-hmm. but then now they're stuck in the past and they don't know how to get back. Well, didn't you just accidentally create time travel? Like, can't you just use that method? Mm-hmm. No, we we forgot. I guess. Sorry. I mean, you know, I don't expect like you know strict episode to episode continuity like star dates and and crap like that. But but something major like they know how to travel through time is not not, not too unrealistic. I don't think. just throw that away. Nope. I was actually surely never need this again. (laughs) (laughs) I did like, um, as they're walking through the military base, just, uh, there's more of what I've been talking about with Sulu, where I didn't realize his character was as fleshed out as it was, but he loves the past. He loves like Mm -hmm. military stuff from the past. And, and Takei really played it that way. They're walking around the base and he's just fascinated. He's looking around like, Ooh, I've never seen one of those before. That looks cool. And like, look, Captain, the primitive pistol. (laughs) Yes, we know all about your pistol fetish. Have I mentioned pistols lately? <laughs> you have God, stopped. I'd love a pistol right about now. <laughs> I love this pistol as a man loves a woman. You mean, or a, a man loves a ship? Right, uh, right, Captain. Whatever you say. <laughs> I thought it was an odd choice to uh, to open the episode uh, with the guy in the jet. Like there was no sign of Star Trek anywhere. There was no anything, and this was oh, all that was great. Well, it was, but in terms of like '60s TV, like. They're really struggling to find an audience at this point. It almost got canceled at the end of the first season, and then it did get canceled at the end of the third season. And it was a bit ballsy, I thought, to to cold open with no sign of any spaceships or anything. It kind of 
you know, grab people. And, Ooh, what's going on here? Hey, a spaceship. Mm. What the hell? Like, I, I kind of like that, but yeah, how I don't cool remember another time where Star Trek, at least not in the original series, just opened with something that was completely unwritten. None of the characters that you recognize, none of the locations, no ships, nothing, just something completely outside of the, outside mm. of the normal, uh, yeah, which confines of the show as, as an artistic choice, I thought was great. And, and as sort of a marketing choice, I thought it was great because you might actually grab people who, oh, I'm not watching some stupid spaceman show. Wait, fighter jets. Oh, but Discovery now Wings, I'll watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, this is 1967. They have uh, ABC, CBS, NBC. That's it. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I did enjoy that. And the shot of just the Enterprise, like in the just like in the atmosphere, in the in the that blue sky so with clouds, cool. that looked really cool. And and nice, great little subtle effects in the uh, in the restored version. I, I thought yeah, it looked was, really cool. That was awesome. That's one of the uh, one of the scenes, one of the Star Trek scenes that stuck with me. You know, since childhood is is seeing the Enterprise kind of just up in the sky. Yeah, if, mm. you, if you've watched the show at all, and you know what, you know, obviously it's natural habitat is space, and just the the juxtaposition seeing it in Earth, like, Buh? like it really, really fucks with your head. <clears throat> I, I quite enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but other than that, I mean, it was a lot of fun, a lot of standard, you know, time travel, fish out of water stuff. I guess it was like the first story that they really did that with. Yeah. Where they didn't quite understand the lingo, and they didn't quite understand, you know, like the the Kirk being questioned scene was pretty funny. Yeah, that was actually really good. I, overall, I, I quite enjoyed it. Like I said, just don't even... It's not that I expect scientific accuracy. It's just sort of internal consistency, and they didn't have a lot of that either. <laughs> I was actually doing some research on this one. Apparently, this was supposed to be the second part of The Naked Now, or The Naked Time, I should say. When they went back in time at the end of that episode, they were supposed to end up here. Well, that would have been a cool idea. Yeah. I guess uh, I guess that was like an early example of them trying to do a serialized thing, and I'm guessing yeah, exactly. That, I'm guessing the network shut that down because they usually did. <laughs> like Roddenberry just kicked the door open. No serialized television. Nobody <laughs> likes it. And then uh, yeah, because nobody likes DS9 at all. No. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I mean, just a really fun episode. Like lots mm-hmm. of lots of fun stuff. But uh, yeah, don't don't really try to overthink it because the uh, ship's new whore computer. Oh yeah. <laughs> That was this one, wasn't it? Oh, God, I yeah, completely forgot about that. <laughs> well, Matt, this is your episode. I think it falls on you to, to explain this to the people. So Kirk's using the computer. I forget what he was doing. He was recording something or other. And the computer, instead of the usual um, well, um, Major Barrett. It was, it was when they were sitting there with Christopher and they're trying to figure out, like, if he's important. Yeah, and suddenly the ship's computer is Marilyn Monroe. It's just like, computed and recorded, dear. Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Compute. Computed, dear. And and what was the explanation that they? Oh went God! Like, they oh, yeah. went to the pl- this planet entirely inhabited by women, <laughs> and then ha- and had the computer reprogrammed into whore mode, which is ridiculous. And there are two things that are immediately just completely wrong about this. First of all. You got Kirk to leave a planet inhabited entirely by women. Uh, not even that. <laughs> we went to a planet full of women and we didn't get to see it. Mm-hmm. As a viewer, I feel incredibly gypped by that. <laughs> well, true. But how do you get Kirk to leave that planet? I mean, you know the guy's just inventing missions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he's he's bringing people back from the past, uh, you know, forward from the past just to fuck with them. Oh, we have to stay a little longer until we fix this. <laughs> gotta get... Got to get that vaccine to the planet of the women. 
<laughs> I'm st- I'm tired of going to the planet of the women. <laughs> Shut up, Captain. If you hadn't gone to the planet of the women last month, we wouldn't need to bring them the vaccine this month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite uh, quite. Surprising. The other problem is Kirk, you know, pretending that he's annoyed with the computer when, you know. Part of me thinks he programmed the computer to do that himself, just for those long missions in between Planet of the Women. Well, I mean, we can love me back. Yeah, we've uh, we've long established, even even on the show already, that Kirk loves his ship like a woman, and you know, this is this is the true love of his life. So, you know, naturally, he wants to combine the two things that he loves the most: mm. exhaust ports and um, whatever the ship has, and uh, <laughs> Jeffrey's tube, right? And um. Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There's there's no chance. But really, a, a planet full of women made it sound like that, huh? Yep. Th- that that kind of backs up the thing that me and Matt have been pointing out all along, which is the show doesn't really get women, does it? Not so much, no. <laughs> a woman probably would not make the ship sound like that. It's just my, you know, maybe I'm an ignorant man, but uh, that's just my take. I don't know. Well, it's the 60s. All women were able to do back then is, you know, walk around in short skirts and open hailing frequencies. And reprogram ships, apparently. Listen, I'm I'm loath to call back to the cage yet again. But really, number one, didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> number one was awesome. All right, moving on. Uh, <laughs> anything else about this episode, guys? Or are we ready to uh, push on? I think, I think that's it. <clears throat> All right, uh, next one is yours, Dave. Uh, you specifically requested this one, uh, Court Martial. Ah, uh, Court Martial. The episode opens with the Enterprise docked at Starbase 11 to repair damages sustained in an ion storm. A crewman was lost, and since he wasn't a red shirt, Captain Kirk was required to fill out a report. When it was discovered that his report didn't match the computer's log of the incident, the uh, Commodore of the Starbase ordered an investigation where we find out that Kirk and the crewman, Lieutenant Commander Ben Finney, had a history together. Uh, They went to the Academy together. They used to be friends until Kirk reported Finney for making a mistake that could have endangered the ship they were serving on. Uh, Finney got a reprimand, and it may have cost him any chance at a command of a starship of his own, which, you know, naturally he blamed on Kirk, and since Kirk probably threw a few guys under the bus to get his captaincy, (laughs) he may have had a point. Uh, The Commodore suggests that Kirk should admit to cracking under pressure and making a mistake that cost Finney his life, but Kirk, sensing an opportunity for drama, demands a full court-martial instead. While this is going on, we see Dr. McCoy in a bar hitting on a woman by telling her that he's a friend of J- uh, of Kirk's. Now, I've said some really lame things to try and pick up women, but even I cringed at that one. <laughs> hey, I'm a friend of Kirk's. Are you a friend of Kirk's? Let's have a drink. Uh, we soon find out that not only is she an old friend of Kirk's, but also the lawyer who's about to prosecute him for Finney's death. In a crazy twist. Yeah, that nobody saw coming at all. No. No. Uh, she happens to be a lawyer? That's weird. Yeah. Oh, and Kirk banged her. Hmm, wow, what are the odds? <laughs> this will probably never come up again. No. And, you know, if he hadn't left her on a planet, she wouldn't have been prosecuting him. <laughs> left her on the, the, planet, of planet. the <laughs> planet of the woman lawyers. <laughs> oh. Don't get a divorce there. <laughs> Uh, Kirk returns to his quarters to find a crazy old man poring over stacks of books. This man is Samuel T. Cogley, the lawyer who's taking Kurt's case. Uh, this guy shuns computers in favor of books. Thousands and thousands of books. If only there were time. The trial starts out with a series of witnesses giving testimony that make Kirk look pretty bad. Uh, worst of all is the computer log that clearly shows Kirk ordering the code red on Finney. 
Cogley mounts no defense at all until he hears that Spock has beaten the computer at chess, which leads him to the obvious conclusion that this means Finney is still alive and aboard the Enterprise. The trial is moved to the Enterprise, where the ship's sensors are used to locate Finney. Kirk is allowed to go and confront Finney alone, because that's how all trials work. Uh, he finds him down in engineering, where he reveals his attempt to frame Kirk, and how when that didn't work out, he sabotaged the Enterprise. Excuse and me, sorry. Sense. Sabotage. You say sabotage. <laughs> Kirk says sabotage. <laughs> Look, I'm telling all y'all, it's sabotage. All right? <laughs> and, you know, since the one thing Kirk won't tolerate is another man taking liberties with his ship, whom he loves like a woman, <laughs> a dramatic fight scene ensues where Kirk manages to get his shirt torn, as stipulated in Shatner's contract. Kirk naturally wins and is able to repair the damage Finney did to the ship just in time to save the day. Case dismissed. <laughs> That's the end of that chapter. <laughs> yeah, I, I my case. This was actually this really surprised me. I don't remember like the the few episodes here and there that I've seen of the original series. I don't remember there being such a clear like character piece. I always thought they were big, you know, like crazy high concept aliens or computers or whatever. But this really was a you know let let's look at how big of a jerk Kirk is and how many people he stepped on to get command and uh, how much. Shatner is, <laughs> what's that? Chatter demanded one after the uh, Galileo Seven. Oh, of course, <laughs> and uh, but then how much you know? How much uh, Bones and Spock love him and, and are willing to sacrifice their own careers to to save him? Because uh, yeah, that, that really surprised me. Like I was I was really impressed, and I didn't think this show had that in it. That was uh, that was quite impressive. Mm. Definitely, definitely a great choice, Dave. I I uh, quite enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's 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 one of those that's it kind of it really stood out. Uh, from the others, you know, for, to me at least, because it was just so, so different. I normally really don't like when you had a show and all of a sudden they're, they're in court for some reason or another and it's, it turns into law and order in space or whatever. Right. I, I usually don't care for those, but this one did, uh, <clears throat> handle it particularly well. And, uh, I, I, the guy they, they picked to play Samuel Cogney, uh, a guy by the name of Alicia Cook, great actor. I mean, just, as a guest spot on Star Trek, I mean, I don't know how they pulled this guy, but <laughs> well, yeah, the guy's you, been you, acting forever. He did a couple of uh, Bogart films back in the 40s, <clears throat> uh, Big Sleep, and I think uh, The Maltese Falcon. Wow, nice. I think that was the one. Yeah, you were you, when we were watching the episode, you had a couple of uh, weird little uh, anecdotes about him. I'm like, are you, what are you talking about? Are you talking about the character <laughs> or the guy? You're like, no, no, the guy. Yeah, I, I, looked, I looked him up because I've seen him in a bunch of things, and I, you know, I couldn't remember mm-hmm. hardly any of it, but it's you know, the kind of little bio on him was apparently he lived, well, you know, in, in some mountain somewhere near LA. Right. And all he did was just sit up there and, and go fly fishing, you know, living in his house, just kind of by himself and then, you know, him and his wife. And every time they wanted him in a role for something, they, they, you know, one of the studios would send a courier up to the, you know, up the mountain to wow. <laughs> tell him about it. And he'd come down, do his role and then go right back up. Yep. That's fantastic. <laughs> and, and really, it was worth it. I mean, this guy was, it, it was a bit of an eccentric, but one of those like eccentric genius, like it, through the cor- through the uh, the course of the case, he's uh, he's just sitting there. They're, they're, uh, the prosecution's talking to all the witnesses, and he keeps saying, no questions, Your Honor. And it's like, oh, shit, what is he, is he going to do anything? He's just sitting there. And then he just like, you know, completely nails it. And, uh, and, and the guy really sold that. Like that kind of a character is not an easy sell to, to make you believe that he's smart enough and not just incompetent. Mm-hmm. To, to take and there's, and there's kind of that uh, I, I don't think it rises to the level of a subplot but the a kind of a theme there in the background of uh, you know there's, there's this guy he relies on on books law books you know to, to make his cases instead of all the 
you know, accumulated wisdom, you know, legal wisdom of the, of the Federation in a computer. Right. Uh, and then during the trial, he's talking about, look, you know, it's the, the, the most damning witness against Kirk is this computer, this machine. And if, you know, if we can't examine the machine, you've elevated it uh, above people. And, you know, that, that's, you know, it's, it's human rights are more important than, than machine rights. And back in the sixties was kind of a pretty, yeah. pretty, uh, ahead of its time concept. And that's that's one of the uh, the themes that Star Trek hits on over and over again. I mean, this, mm-hmm. it wasn't a cliche by this point by any means, but uh, oh, not at all. I, I, ahead of its time is yeah. what I'm saying. But I'm saying eventually this turns into one of Star Trek's main mo's, which is you know human beings are more important than machines and and the human spirit and in, in my office unless episode, we like machines. Well, yeah, but <clears throat> yeah, unless it's data, then he's becoming more human <laughs> yeah. every day. <laughs> <laughs> but in in my horrible episode coming up here, we we go into it again, where you know like human being human souls. And creativity are more important than what a machine wants, and the, it's, it's definitely a theme that I think Roddenberry wanted to put into the show, and uh, and and here is one of the better treatments of it, I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, Roddenberry I, himself, of course, was a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I was really surprised that um, the the testimony of Bones and Spock basically amounted to, uh, well, yes, all the evidence completely shows that Kirk did this, but he obviously didn't because he's Captain Kirk. Oh, yeah, that was great, especially seeing from Spock. Well, I mean, it was great on the one hand as a character thing. So these guys are incredibly loyal. They're BFF. But on the yeah. other hand, legal-wise, that's not a very strong ev- – well, he couldn't possibly have done it because I like him. Like, yeah. it's not really a strong He must argument. be innocent. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> There's not really an awesome precedent, punch? is there? <laughs> I was uh, I was a little disappointed that they didn't read all his medals. Like the computer starts reading, you know, when they introduce him to the court, uh, Captain Kirk, the Medal of Honor, Medal of Honor, and like, can we skip this, please? It's like, come on, there, you know, there's nerds out in the audience who want to debate what each one of these things means and where he <laughs> earned it. I was really disappointed that they didn't uh, go into that. Well, it was kind of funny too, where uh, you know the the prosecutor wants you know wants to stop it, but Kirk's lawyer goes, oh, let's let it go on for a while. He lets it read exactly two more, then stops it again. Like, <laughs> okay, right, that's enough. <laughs> I just wanted those two. Maybe the uh, maybe like in the writers' room, they're like, oh, "Do we really have to think of all these space medals? <laughs> Can't we just break for lunch? Two more. All right." So the I think one is of them is he... called like the the grand kite of tactics or something like that. <laughs> See, this is so one the of the. Thing, oh, go ahead. The thing is, he won the executive award of not kill, not killing his own crewmen and then covering it up. <laughs> yeah, that is important <laughs> to the plot. That so. cites precedent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the advantages that, that Next Gen and all the shows after that uh, had, which is you could then turn those into callbacks because uh, I, I believe it was Cisco who earned the Christopher Pike Medal of, of Valor or something like that. And like, <laughs> it doesn't sound so ridiculous then. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember Pike. Cool. Of course I remember Pike. I've seen the cage 76 times now. <laughs> we'll never forget. So now every time Cisco mentions that medal, you want to punch him. <laughs> oh, no. I know better than to punch Cisco. <laughs> Definitely not. Um there's a there, there's a great scene where where Kirk's uh, I guess in custody <laughs> and he's talking to Spock and he's like uh, th- things are bad here I uh, you know uh, Spock I'm glad you're you're helping me you're you're looking around for for clues or whatever um, but he basically turns thank you for helping bail me out of jail into I'm better than you by the end <laughs> of the conversation he's bragging about how much better he is at chess <laughs> which which was a plot thread they had they needed that to go into the chess thing but uh, it was it was very Kirk moment. Where he's he's thanking Spock, but at, by the end of the sentence, he's bragging about how much better he is. Well, I mean, that's just that just comes of being friends with Jim Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not that he's not grateful; it's just that he's incapable of not being an ass. 
<laughs> Listen, if you hadn't helped me, I would have figured something out. I'm James fucking Kirk here. <laughs> and I, I do like the idea that, uh, you know, that, that Kirk stepped on every possible person he could uh, to mm-hmm. get to where he is now. And one of them came back to haunt him. I, I, I'm surprised that this doesn't happen over and over again. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about this. The other people in the academy must fucking hate him. I mean, if nothing else, he cheated his way through the uh, the, the Kobayashi Maru and got a promotion out of it, which we don't specifically know yet. Like that hasn't been established yet. But you no, know, I mean, I know, but, but you know from his character that he's a cheater. Yeah, and when that gets revealed in Wrath of Khan, it's not a surprise to anyone because, of course, he cheated. He's fucking mm-hmm. Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it's it's not at all surprising that that there's a lot of very bitter people who think you know. At this point, he's the youngest captain in the fleet, which he's only in his 30s. And in the movie, he's even younger. But we won't talk about that yet. But he's supposed to be like 33 and in command of a ship. And that's obscenely young. And uh, especially since we saw from from uh, Matt's episode, he clearly doesn't think things through before he does them. No, uh, that is I think you pointed that out. That is his command structure. He just uh, (laughs) jumps in. Let's see what happens when we do this. Yeah. Let's see if I push (laughs) this button. Oops. And that's uh, they, th- that's why there was no running villain on uh, on the original series. You didn't need one. Basically, every all the conflict was created by undoing whatever the hell Kirk did first. Well, and of course, anyone who could have been a villain was left on a planet, <laughs> buried alive, which, buried alive. Which I'm sure will never come back to hit, to haunt him. No, definitely nope. not. <laughs> but it, it was nice seeing, and Finney kind of was driven crazy by all this. He's at the, by the end, he's talking in third person, and you know, just running through the ship. And uh, that that guy played crazy great. Yeah, yeah, he did. That was, that I was really cool. loved his like. This doesn't happen, not to me, not to Ben Finney. Oh. <laughs> when, when is it going to be ben, ben Finney's turn? Where's Ben Finney's command? Just yeah, I don't have to listen to you. I'm Captain Kirk. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, between those two guys, definitely a, a higher caliber of, of guest star than we're typically used to on this show. That was nice. Uh, of course, some of the fashion choices. Matt, uh, oh, for oh, some oh. reason, his his eyes were bleeding over there watching. Like, I don't really notice this stuff that much. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm listening to the lines more than I am watching the visuals. But it just it apparently well, drove you nuts. Plus, you've seen enough of my shirts to prepare you for anything. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I've seen your closet. <laughs> Blinding me. Uh, dude likes his Hawaiian shirts. <laughs> Finney's daughter shows up, and she's this weird, warbly-voiced, like, 14-year-old girl. And she was wearing this weird, like, sort of see-through-ish dress. And I'm looking, and I'm like, what the hell is that? And it slowly dawns on me that it's this weird plastic Sailor Moon skirt thing. <laughs> like, with the Sailor cape thing at the back, like Donald Duck has. And, like, a bow on the front. But it's all made of this weird, rubbery, fruit roll-up-looking, like, blue stuff. Yeah, I and and the thing is, I give this show credit because they didn't always costume everyone from the you know from like the the back lot. Like, okay, let's let's see what we got left over from Spartacus, and let's see what we got <laughs> left over from uh, you know the, some Western. Like, they they tried to make futuristic, weird looking stuff, but sometimes it came out like that. Star Trek has always had a problem with how to dress its civilians. Yeah, the the uniforms usually look pretty good, but you're right. When, yeah. when you see people on their day off, it's like, oh, really. Yeah. Even into like DS9. I, Amanda's pointed this out to me before where we see Cisco on his day off walking down to the Hall of Suites and uh, what the hell is he wearing? He kind of <laughs> looks like a cross between, it's like a jumpsuit slash peasant thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I give them points for trying. I, I, I cut them a lot of slack when I see they're trying to do something original and unique and it didn't work, but at least they tried. 
And what's her face? A uh, single female lawyer wore like this weird <laughs> splattered Ooh. paint tarp thing. Yeah. God, it looked like somebody ate too many gummy bears and threw up. <laughs> <laughs> or, those, or those little gelatinous food pills that they eat. That's uh, ah, yes. <laughs> keeping it in canon there. A, a batch had gone wrong. <laughs> uh, so anything else on this one or is that, uh, is that pretty much cover it? I think it covers the story. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, on to mine. So, uh, so Matt got the fun time travel episode. Dave got the well-written character piece. And me, I got a rock. <laughs> All right, let's get this over with. The Archons come back. The end. God, I wish. No, this time we have one of those planets that looks an awful lot like the backlot of Desilu, by some astonishing coincidence. Sulu and some other dude are on a secret away mission to Beta 3, where tri-cornered hats are still considered a solid fashion choice. Sulu gets zapped with a cardboard paper towel tube. No, seriously, later we find out they're just empty hollow tubes. That turns out that turns him into a constantly smiling idiot who can't stop jabbering about his new god. We've all known a guy like this. So Kirk takes everyone but Scotty back down to the planet to see what's what. A lot of running around happens for a long, long time. Seriously, the best I can say about this part is that Spock has a cool Dracula robe. That's about it. The inhabitants of Beta 3 lead what we're expected to believe is a peaceful, idyllic existence, except that they go apeshit at what they call the Red Hour. Seriously, it's like their sports team lost, or possibly won. Whatever is this sports fan uses an excuse to trash their homes. Anyway, I digress. Kirk and company finally work out that the planet's being ruled over by, you guessed it, a sophisticated computer. And Kirk defeats it by, you guessed it again, outsmarting it till it explodes. Okay, it's not actually a cliche yet, since this is technically the first occurrence of this Trek standard. And honestly, as painful as it was to get here, I do enjoy watching Kirk do what he does second best. Making computers go insane and kill themselves. And so their perfect civilization decimated. Uh, Kirk leaves, filled with the satisfaction of a job well done. <laughs> <laughs> How many times? I mean, yeah, he leaves guys behind. That's been a running thing. But uh, mm-hmm. the, that's the other thing. He usually ruins whatever culture is there and just rides off into the sunset. Bye. <laughs> so Good long. luck. Good luck with all that. Hopefully someday you'll learn to be as awesome as we are. Kirk out. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, not not a good episode, guys. There was, like, the possibility of goodness in this episode, you know? Like, I was going back to the, like, the uh, creepy horror sci-fi stuff that uh, the earlier Trek episodes did with the, like, race zombie people controlled by a computer, but it was just so boring. Yeah, and that's a lot of my problem with the original series as a whole. When we started doing this, it was like, oh, God, we got to watch 79 of these first, huh? And it's it's not, I mean, I love these characters, I really do, and I love a lot of the situations, uh, but really, a lot of, we're used to a different kind of pace, a different, you know, a different kind of storytelling in the 21st century. Call it short attention span or whatever, but the story moves. And this story did not move for a long, long time. It moved into the dungeon and stayed there. <laughs> and then they went to another dungeon. Yeah. yeah, they got caught in the dungeon and got thrown into a different dungeon. Which I'm pretty sure they just shot from a reverse angle, and uh, <laughs> it was actually the same dungeon. Wait, are you saying they didn't spring for two different dungeons for this episode? Uh, no, I would never say that. Boy, this no. sure is a different dungeon we're in now. Look how different it is. I thought that was a very uh, awkward line of dialogue when, when Kirk said that, actually. Boy, this sure <laughs> is a different dungeon. <laughs> that was in the script, huh? Wow. <laughs> The, uh, the, these creepy cloaked guys were uh, sort of the enforcers of the evil uh, computer god, and uh, they would always threaten to take people off to absorption chambers, <laughs> which, which sounded totally harmless to me. Like, oh, he's just going to the absorption chamber. He'll be fine. 
<laughs> that oh, actually, yeah, these guys are just a little too moist. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's where all their paper towels went. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, the absorption chamber only absorbs this much, but uh, with new quicker bounty. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, the, the weird thing was they went on and on about what a what a perfect civilization this is, and then we saw them rioting for I think twelve hours, like of story time. Like, well, which is it? Are they, are they perfect or are they? I, I guess they just they they let out all their aggression at certain designated times. Yeah, hey, everybody's got to let off a little steam now and then. I yeah. I suppose. <laughs> so every day for twelve hours, they everyone goes crazy. I don't see what the problem with that is. Yeah, very well. Okay, this Perfectly is Perfectly idyllic civilization. This is clearly just me missing the point. I apologize, mm. you guys. <laughs> the thing is, when we were watching that, we, we watched, like like I've been saying, we watched these together. Um, and when it's three episodes, into that third hour, we start getting a little antsy. And I thought, okay, well, I, I kind of felt the need to get up and wander away when we watched this originally, just because... To run away. Three hours of Star Trek, <laughs> it was a bit much. And I just chalked it up to that. But this morning, uh, when I'm doing the show prep... I'm like, okay, I need to watch it again. I need to refresh my memory, get my get my summary, all that. I watched it again, and I felt this immediate need to walk away again. <laughs> and I'm well-rested. My my attention is fully focused, and I still just, I hmm, I'm, I'm going to go do some laundry now, I think. I'll, I'll come back to this. <laughs> it's, it was just the effect the episode had. I did not want to sit still. It was just so boring. Still in the dungeon, huh? All right, I'll be back in 15. <laughs> we know if anything happens. <laughs> I also thought it was odd that uh, Spock made the um, made the observation that that they were a soulless people. That was his logical conclusion. Like, really, does, does science and logic really talk about how people have souls? And, and that well, kind I mean, of you know, his wording's not perfect, but I sort of get where he's coming from with that. Yeah, but they kept you know, hitting, like they kept hitting on soul, specifically yeah. souls, and that just that that didn't really sit right with me. Yeah. So. Uh, the, We've eliminated all religion in the future, but souls are still around. Very Not important. really sure what they are or what they do or anything, but they're a big deal. <laughs> it was it was a bit heavy handed, like it, like you said, it, it it did have potential. It could have been one of those cool sort of horror sci fi things, but it did sort of fall flat. Uh, the very obvious with what it was trying to say, and um, mm-hmm. and then the credits always come up at the end, written by your story by Roddenberry. Yeah, no surprise. It's like uh huh, <laughs> yeah. Look, look, I give the guy a lot of credit for creating the show, but uh, it's pretty clear to us all now what uh, what his deal was. Yeah. Uh, but again, great uh, great Kirk arguing and, and making a computer blow up. That part was cool. That, that's always cool. Yep. You know, whenever, Kirk never met a computer he couldn't blow up. Whenever, whenever he's winding up with the, then I put it to you. Like, that's the line. <laughs> then I put it to you, and then some weird, faulty logic that makes it explode. <laughs> So that was great. Uh, it was it was fun seeing, uh, as always. Uh, the one of the bright spots of a bad episode is watching DeForest Kelly do anything, and mm-hmm. uh, he had uh, a bit where he was brainwashed and wandering around trying to get everyone to get their Thetan levels read and uh, embrace Zenu. And uh, he's doing that great shouty thing that he does when he goes nuts. Yep, like he did. We're in- going to see more of that in uh, City yeah. on the Edge of Forever. Yeah. Assassins, murderers. That that was a lot of fun. Mm. <laughs> But that's that's pretty much all I got. I mean, any anything else from you guys? I uh, I know this is uh, my episode. Sorry, I got off and wandered off for a minute. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're still in the dungeon, Dave. You're all right. <laughs> I was very pleased to see the. Uh, there's a fa- famous uh, Star Trek blooper in this one. Uh, oh. During the riot, a rock nails Spock right in the head and just bounces off. <laughs> <laughs> see, and the only uh, the only bloopers I ever saw was when they tried to walk into the automatic doors and they didn't open. I should have stuck with it after seven or eight of those. I didn't realize there were other ones on that tape. <laughs> nope, that's it. That's it. 
Just doors and the rocks. Yep. All right. But yeah, I mean, you know, like I said, the last 10 minutes were, were quite great, but uh, the re- getting there was not fun. No. Any Anything else to, to add to this one, or are we ready to push forward here? Nope, I, I think guess we the are Archons all of the body. actually technically return, did they? What's that? I guess the Archons technically never returned. No. Also, I never mentioned Landru, so that was the name of the computer uh, god. Oh, yeah. He's, Tom uh, Landru. <laughs> Landru's not a system, he's a man. <laughs> I, had that I, thought joke. He was a, I thought he was a sponge, and that's why he was doing all the absorption. Oh. <laughs> Come on, you've been mercifully uh, pun-free for this, so let's... Well, well it's the third episode. episode. It was time. Uh, it was time now. We'll get to that. All right. All the puns in the world. <laughs> All right. Time for our uh, quotes of the episode here. Um, All right. You got one for tomorrow's yesterday, Matt? So mine's for, mine is Kirk being a dick to primitive 1960s military. This little thing. Something I slipped on. Kirk, maybe you don't realize how serious this is. Sabotage of a government installation. Did I sabotage something? No, we stopped you in time. But what would you have done if we hadn't found you? Believe me, Colonel, nothing at all. Ah, yes, always, always a, uh, always a treat. I, I just love. I'm going to record you saying my quote is Kirk being a dick, and I'll just be able to recycle that every week forever. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much that one's constantly reusable. <laughs> Let's see, what can I pick for the my quote this week? Ah, Kirk being a dick. Kirk being a dick. Kirk being a dick. <laughs> just scan through. Wait, this is a Kirk light episode. What am I going to? Oh, there he is being a dick. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> he just cameoed in this episode. Just wanted him to be a dick. <laughs> Hey, Spock, fuck you. I'm out. <laughs> There's actually a, an episode of the animated series where he doesn't appear at all. It's uh, Spock, Sulu, and Uhura the whole time. And somehow wow. Kirk manages to be a dick still. <laughs> <laughs> where were you, Sulu? Uh, the captain was yelling at me. Dick. <laughs> all right, Dave, you got one for uh, Court Martial? I do. It's, uh, you know, the, the uh, big dramatic uh, crescendo of the, of the courtroom scene. You can't handle the truth. All right, all right, Dave, uh, you know that's uh, not from this episode, right? That's actually from uh, it's a little film called A uh, Few Good Men. Uh, what? Early 90s. Well, I, I've had a Reiner. few good beers, but I'm pretty sure I, I, I heard that. No, 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 no. This is the Star Trek episode, Court Martial. Oh. If you have another quote. Uh, all right. How, how about this one with the guy talking about his books? All right. I've got my own system. Books, young man. Books, thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library. Thousands of books. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. Well, that started out okay, but it, it kind of wandered off there. What's uh, what what happened? Oh, look, damn it. <laughs> Matt, this was a lot of Star Trek I had to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you had suggested that we uh, take quotes directly from people's minds instead of uh, from the episode. Yeah. I think that was a mistake. Yeah, apparently that was not. We should just go back to recording clips from the episodes like we normally do. Yeah, because that, uh, that, I mean, t- clearly people's brains tend to... Uh, Some wrong there. Off. Yeah. So uh, Can I take the salad bowl off my head now? Then? Not yet. Not yet. Don't uh, unplug the USB. We're almost finished. <laughs> All right, my uh, my my quote was: I really wanted to include this entire speech because this was the entire best part of the, the only good part of the episode for Return <laughs> of the Archons. Uh, but it is about five to ten minutes long of Kirk, and I had to narrow it down to the very last part where the computer finally explodes. So uh, <laughs> here here you are. 
must create the good. That is the will of Landry, nothing else. But there is evil. Then the evil must be destroyed. That is the prime directive. And you are the evil. I think. I live. You are the evil. The evil must be destroyed. Fulfill the prime directive. You, Andrew, help me. Are the evil. Fulfill the prime directive. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. So that's uh, once again Kirk being a dick. <laughs> All right, your uh, god is but dead. But it's to a computer; I'm... it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, time for uh, in, the in the future for uh, tomorrow is yesterday, Matt. All right, in the future, in the future soup future. appears as if by magic to the shock and delight of startled Air Force officers everywhere. <laughs> All right, Dave, for uh, for yours. In the, future, in the future, computer games will determine your fate. <laughs> all right we had uh what is it deeper de- extreme deep blue uh <laughs> because spock can defeat the computer at chess kirk is innocent yep <laughs> makes sense to me shall uh, we play a game <laughs> <laughs> and then he du- and then he dumps his whiskey into it <laughs> or, or champagne <laughs> if you're watching electric dreams which nobody but me and dave have apparently <laughs> <laughs> that was it they made it for us yep uh, and, and for Return of the Archons, uh, in the future, uh, in the future uh, even future. God's job will be threatened by a computer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Dave, I appreciate you joining us. Um, oh, it was great fun. Definitely have to have you back uh, maybe when there's some uh, <laughs> better stuff to watch. <laughs> all right. That is that is all from us, and uh, we will uh, talk to you guys again next week. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit from this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 